Welcome back to another episode of Things My Friends Know. I'm your host, Lisa Lindenfelser, and I'm here to talk with my friends about their passions. In today's episode, we chat with Luan about his passion for fishing and how he's turned fishing into a family tradition. Hello and welcome. And we are here today with Luan. Luan, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Excited to be a part of this. And we're excited to have you too and talking about a topic that I know very little about. So that's going to make this super exciting today. So obviously one of the first questions I have for you is how did you get into fishing? Yeah, so it's something I just frequented with, uh, frequently did with my uncle and grandma as a oh. child. I have memories of getting dropped off uh, the night before a fishing trip at my uncle's, spending the night, um, going out at night, picking night crawlers, uh, oh gosh. <laughs> waking up at 4 a.m., drive into like Bay City, uh, Ludington or some inland lake that he had found mm. on a map somewhere. And uh, part of what I liked was going to McDonald's and KFC before and after. <laughs> that explains my uh, my current unhealthy affinity with chicken nuggets and sweet sour sauce. And <laughs> but uh you know, as much as I think he enjoyed my company, I, I also think it's uh, it's good to have a kid with you when you're you're fishing a private pond type of deal. <laughs> so. Oh, so like people can't get mad at you because you have a little kid with you? Yeah, so I came with him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you were like his safety net. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but you know, from there it just kind of grew. You know, my particular interests uh, for certain types of fishing evolved throughout the years. Why I fish became less to bring fish home. Uh, to eat and more of a recreational sport type of thing. So. so does that mean that you don't typically eat the fish that you're catching or it's just not the primary goal anymore? Yeah, more of the latter, right? So before it, the goal when I was a kid was bring home as much fish as possible mm-hmm. to feed, you know, the family and then share with the rest of the extended family. Whereas nowadays I, I just get what enough to feed myself and what I want to eat. And then the rest is to you know, catch and release and mm-hmm. let the generation and let the next person enjoy that fish, right? That's awesome. I think one of the things that's really cool about what you just said is that it's also kind of like about the ecosystem. Like if yeah. you take the fish out and you take it home for yourself, that's not something that someone else will be able to enjoy. So that's a really cool way to think about it. Yeah, I've, I've really grown uh, to appreciate uh, and respect fish in that way, right? So mm-hmm. if you catch a marvelous creature, you don't want to just take it home and eat it. It's probably not going to taste that good anyway, but you want to give it back and allow the next person to enjoy it. It could be a dad with their son or daughter, and that could be like an experience for the rest of their life. So you're just kind of like passing that forward. That's so sweet. Yeah. And I've like things like, you know, small mouth and large mouth bass, I guess I'm making some assumptions, but they're commonly not a fish that you would want to eat. Oh, really? Compared to other fish. I didn't know and that. And I hear it's something like they only grow an inch a year. So to your oh. point, like if you start catching all these fish and just taking them home just to take them home, like if you keep doing that, there's not going to be big fish later for other people. Mm. Exactly. And, I, and as far as like the bass point, there there is the stereotype that, that bass are not good like fish to eat. Wow. And most sport around bass fishing is very competitive. So there are like tournaments and really serious money uh, on the table for bass fishing. Um, so it's weird. good to have 
the bass population. But they're surprising. There's some people that swear by it. Like they love eating bass and it's like the most underrated meat there is. So I don't get that. I'm not on that team, but Hmm. yeah. So why is the bass fishing so competitive? Like, are they just harder to catch or is it because there's less of them? Like Pablo was talking about since they only grow an inch a year, like it's really, really cool to get a really big one. Like what's the big deal? I don't know the entire story, but I imagine it's because they're really fun to catch. They're like really ferocious and good fighters, right? So if you have one on, on like a light rod, you're going to have fun catching it. So, you know, that's part of it. I know that people spend a ton of money on like boats, like Mm -hmm. house tech money, mortgage type of money on fancy boats and trying to get into these competitions. And yeah, that's crazy. Okay. So I have a question about what you were just saying, like if you have a quote unquote light rod, it will be really fun to reel in uh, bass. I almost said bass. Um, (laughs) Pablo loves music in case no one knew that. Um, So there's a difference between the types of rods that you use depending on the type of fish that you're trying to catch. Oh yeah, there's a lot of technical stuff uh, with the equipment you're using. There are light rods which are more flexible, right? And are thinner. So it's not, the action is more whippy. Okay. Right. So the, there's, there's rod length, there's rod, you know, action, um, flexibility, the tip, there's a bunch of like technical stuff, but generally the smaller fish you go after the lighter rod you want, you don't want to go after a big fish with a light rod. Mm. Be, one reason, because if you're fighting a fish for that long with a light rod, it's going to take you longer to reel it in. Mm. And, that will tax the fish, right? It'll it'll increase the chance of that fish dying. And you don't you don't want that for the reasons we mentioned before. Wait, you you could kill the fish by taking too long to reel it in? Oh yeah. Like if you're if the fish is fighting too much, you're you're exhausting that fish's energy. So it'll ha- it'll need to recover and you know live on if you put it back in wow. the water. So you want to be cognizant of that. That is Uh, something I definitely never knew. Um, We have gone fishing in the past with Pablo's parents. They live on Houghton Lake full time and they have a boat. So we've gone fishing on Houghton Lake before. And I've never really seen any fishing experiences that we've had where it's been like a like an actual fight quote unquote, with the fish to like reel the fish in. So that's super fascinating to think about because that's something I've never really considered based on my fishing experiences, which are very, very little. Yeah. I mean, you always want to have the appropriate equipment for the the type of fishing you're doing, right? There's, there's a whole bunch of types of fishing. Like if you're fishing off a pier and you need to cast it a long ways, you're going to need a rod that's over 12 feet long to Mm -hmm. get it out. Right. But if you're fishing a small river, that long rod will hit into branches. You'll get tangled up more. So it doesn't make sense to do that. Okay. Well, do you have a favorite type of fishing? You talked about rivers. You talked about fishing off of a pier. I know there's lakes and I'm sure there's very many different types of lakes. So do you have ocean? Do you have a a favorite type of like where to fish? Yeah, I, I really enjoy floating down a river, spot fishing off a kayak mm-hmm. and stopping at places and alternating between, you know, like an open reel type of fishing and then also fly fishing. Think of trout streams, you know, your, your listeners can't see my Zoom background, but something, 
something where there's uh you know and you're in the woods and you're you're floating downstream and you're fishing for a trout salmon that type of thing I took a picture so that our listeners can see you with your background. So um, fly fishing, is that the one where you're wearing like those like pantaloons and you're like standing in the water? The pantaloons required. <laughs> you can't be fly fishing. You're not wearing the pantaloons. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> pantaloons, that's hilarious. Yeah, they're called fish waders. Okay. But, uh... <laughs> I'm going to stick with pantaloons. Yeah, I like that. No, that's exactly it. You know, you're standing uh, into the the current and you're trying to get to the spot where the fish are, right? So it might be on the opposite bank where the fish are sitting in a hole that's a little bit deeper than where you're standing. But it's just a way to be more uh, accessible. Okay. To the fish, which is important. (laughs) It's also um, not like the traditional uh, spin or open reel type of uh, equipment. You're, you know, you're using the momentum and the weight of the line to cast, wow. right? So it's a different type of casting and it's more of a fluid and art. It's more challenging. That's why I like it. Recently, I've, I've, I've grown to start making my own flies and stuff. Um, and it's just, it's more challenging. So I, I enjoy it more nowadays. That's amazing. So I know that there is a story about you catching a fish when you guys were in kayaks on a river. Um, I particularly remember this because Lisa, your wife, did a really good job of capturing pictures as it was happening. And I remember seeing this on social media and thinking that it was just like the most hilarious thing ever. Do you know what story I'm talking about? Yeah, at first I was like, man, there's tons of stories about me on a kayak on a river. But um, (laughs) I do remember the exact story uh, when I went with Lisa. We were at a camping, we were going on a camping trip with friends and uh, wanted to test out, you know, the mouth of a river with our kayaks before everybody came. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, you know, casually tossing my spin bait out, uh, reeling it in. And I hooked onto this huge pike. Like oh. this thing was spinning me around uh, the kayak. Whoa. Like, I think I fought it for like a minute and a half. Wow. Uh, I started to see it. And if you know anything about pike, their face looked like alligators a little bit. <laughs> really big, right? They have teeth, right? And they're yeah, slimy. They're... they're very slimy and disgusting. They don't have scales or whatever like other fish, right? Or am I making that up? Pablo's making yeah. a face. <laughs> they're pretty slimy, yeah. Yeah, they're slimy. They have they have scales. They have teeth. Um, but anyway, this thing was like as big as my thigh. And I got really excited. She could tell I was getting really excited, pulling it in, reeling it in. And it got next to the boat. I couldn't really like adjust what I was doing. I was ill prepared. I didn't have a net and it just came like gently and flipped over on its belly right next to me. And I was like maybe a foot away from grabbing it and it just flicked off. And she caught the whole moment on camera where my face total elation and happiness to uh, like, I don't know. I was just so disappointed. Devastation. (laughs) All that work and excitement for for nothing and she caught every screen of it i mean what's cool about that story too well not cool but what's uh, awesome maybe that's not a good word either the pictures that lisa posted of this situation you can actually see the fish right before it comes off of the line so to have a fish be that close to you and then somehow get off the line must be just like so like heartbreaking it was heartbreaking i mean i wasn't gonna keep it or anything but i wanted to have like Everybody wants to have their picture with the the huge fish that they caught, right? Yes. 
Speaking of which, um, in the very few fishing expeditions that I've been on, Pablo and I got to go salmon fishing in Alaska. And I know that you know the story because I remember you seeing the pictures when we did go a few years ago. And um, Pablo actually caught a fish. They had warned us when we went on the salmon fishing expedition. We actually did a cruise. So it was like at we had a port and that was one of the activities that you could sign up for. They warned us it had been a really bad fishing season and they didn't want us to like ha- get our hopes up about catching any salmon or any fish at all. Um, cool. And Pablo was the first person to catch a fish. Do you remember that, Pablo? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, and it was crazy. I mean, the whole experience was insane. Um, I don't know a ton about fishing. So Luan, you can correct me if I say anything incorrectly, but... I believe that the fishing that we were doing in Alaska was very deep water. Like they actually even had like motors on the fishing line so that you could force the line down into the deep waters more quickly. Um, And when Pablo got to, how long did you, how long do you think you fought the fish before you actually got it into the boat? 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. It was intense. Like in my head, thinking back over it, it really wasn't that long because it was like so intense and the fisherman, like obviously he's a fisherman, so he wasn't like super like social and like, I don't even know how to describe him, but he was like yelling at Pablo the whole time and he was like, get on the other side of the boat, get on the other side of the boat. Yeah, I was more like, he was going to cut my head off if we didn't catch the fish, but I was wearing a Packer sweatshirt when it was happening and once we finally got it in, like... When you have like a fifty-pound fish flopping yes. around your tiny little boat, he's That's like, amazing. "You got to do something about it." Yes. So he killed it. You know, however, like the appropriate way to do it is just to like be safe wow. and you yeah, know, with a fish that size, considerate of the fish and everything like that. And he's like, "Here you go. Here's Olivia Munn," because it was like after <laughs> Aaron Rodgers broke up with <laughs> Olivia Munn, <laughs> and it was really crazy too because like the way that he killed it was he had this big hook, like a really long, like I think of like a broomstick with like a huge hook on the bottom, and he just took the hook, the back of the hook, not the sharp side, and he just like booped it on the head, and it just like apparently like explodes their brains or whatever. So it was crazy. Yeah, that's another thing is there's a lot of like strategy and theory around how to humanely kill a fish. And I've seen people just take like a mallet and bonk them on the head. Um, (laughs) That's supposed to take them out pretty quickly. And also it's supposed to make the meat taste better. Whoa. Japanese technique to that where, yeah, sushi experts say if you bonk them on the head, that doesn't allow for, and you have to gill them. So like their blood, you Mm -hmm. know, um, so it doesn't get, it doesn't taint the meat, right? Yeah, it was very bloody. You can even see in one of the pictures that we took, which I will post, um, like it was just captured at the right moment where there was like a blood drop just like falling from the fish as we took the picture next to the salmon Olivia Munn that we caught. It was crazy. And we we paid the fishermen to actually freeze it and mail it to us after our trip. So we actually got to eat Olivia Munn as well, which was insane. It was a pretty awesome experience, Tasty. I will say. He like asked me, we were with another couple on the tour as well, and they also caught a salmon. It was not as big as Pablo's, but they did also catch a salmon. And um, the guy asked me after they caught their fish if I wanted to take the line, and I was like, fuck, no. Like, that was so intense when Pablo had to reel his own fish, and I wanted nothing to do with that drama. That's amazing. I'm glad you got something. It could have been that they were uh, trying to under-promise over-deliver, right? Because they're, they're a paid yeah. charter service, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, if you ever kill a fish, you know, my mantra is, like, try to to use as much of it as possible. Right. 
Yeah. I definitely think that like how big the fish was and how much fish we got. I have no complaints because it was still a lot of fish for the two of us, but he definitely took some of it. Like I'm 100% convinced that we did not get the full fish, which is okay because we didn't need it. But it was it was a definitely a life-changing experience for sure. Like have you had ever had any life-changing fishing experiences? Oh man. I don't know if they were life-changing, but certainly things I will remember for my whole life. Like that's like my most favorite thing about fishing are the memories um, with yes. the people I love, right? In your case, it's with, with Paul. With me, it's with, you know, my daughter. Like this, this last summer, because of the pandemic, we were able to go fishing uh, more regularly. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she reeled in her biggest catfish at uh, Park Lake here in Hazlitt over the summer and it was like the coolest and proudest moment of my life she talked about it for months oh that's so sweet and your daughter is how old she's she just turned 11 right and that's impressive she's caught a bigger and better fish than i ever will catch in my life so you go riley yeah pretty pretty proud of her we have our own like uh secret spots around town too and we have names for them just from the characteristics right one is called the secret pond one is called the uh the bridge spot you know stuff like that oh that's so sweet so it's also like i think about how at the beginning you talked about how this was an experience for you as a kid you went to your grandma's your uncle took you out fishing and it was a whole experience and now you get to share that experience with your daughter as well yeah it's, it's really really cool to do like it also teaches them like really good life lessons and some stuff that i've learned throughout the years too so it's just it's not just about catching the fish. Like for me, it's about bonding. It's a social thing and, it, you know, a way to, to kind of get away uh, as well. What are some of the life lessons that you're teaching Riley? For? It's a lot of patience, right? Yeah, it takes a lot of patience. It's not like I'm, I'm there lecturing her, mm. but I can just tell, you know, she's learning things like delayed satisfaction, right? right. If you're, you're not going to get something immediately, you're not going to throw a tantrum about it. You're going to try harder try to be smarter and and uh, have some persistence, right? I think there was like, I'm not an expert on child psychology, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure I read an article where they they tested like a set of kids. Like they put candy or, or cookies in front of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave them a choice. You can have this now or you can wait 10 minutes and have two of them. Mm-hmm. They track the course of those kids throughout their life. And the people, the kids that took the, the two cookies later ended up becoming more successful because they made smarter decisions. So the, the same thing applies with like fishing, right? So if you don't get something you want right away, um, you don't throw a fit and, you know, you just be smarter. And I think that's a really good life lesson to be persistent, be patient and just work on something. And so that when you, you do catch a fish, it's worth that much more. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm pretty sure that like study was covered on an episode of Hidden Brain, which is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Okay, good. Um, I thought I was making that up. I just no. Just... <laughs> you know what's funny is they also do that now with dogs, um, where they like put dogs in a room with like two little dog with a dog tree, and they tell them to wait, and then they leave the room and shut the door, and then they see how long the dog will wait before they eat the dog tree. <laughs> how long do you think Mimi would last if you did that to her? You have a great day named Mimi. She's hilarious. How long would she last if you did that to her? If we left the room, not not very long. Like, she's <laughs> good if we're there because she, she's, you know, she knows we're watching her. But I bet you the moment we shut the door, it's it's game over. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, Mimi, she's the best. So is um is Riley using a a standard reel nowadays, or is she still on the the push button situation? Oh no, she's uh she's doing the the open cast type of reel. So nice. she's looking over and and launching it and and letting it go, and it Perfect. takes a lot to do that. You know, yeah, I think it takes she, a lot of practice. It does. Yeah, it's it's all about timing. You know, it's it's kind of scary too because when you're next to her and there's like <laughs> lead hook. And she's just flipping it through the air. You, you, you want to cover your ears type of thing. Right. Because I definitely hooked my, my fair share of uh, family members' ears as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Hey, I would happily take a push button ride anytime somebody oh, wants Oh, I have one. I was just curious. <laughs> I remember it taking me a long time to transition. When uh, I have to tell you, because I think you'll appreciate this, Luan, Pablo's mom, who we call Munya, she has a very unique fishing style that is very effective. Um, so they, when they fish on Houghton Lake, they fish in the pontoon boat, and she will actually take her rod and put the tip of the rod so far down that it's actually almost touching the water, and she just leaves it like that. Like she obviously has both hands on it and is gripping it the whole time, so nothing crazy happens. But that is her fishing style, and she, I swear to God, catches more fish than any any of us when we are there interesting it might you know it might have to do with uh the type of lure she has too so if it's a sinking type of thing right Mm -hmm. impact the depth at which uh it sits for the fish so depth um is really really important so you mentioned on your charter trip there's a, a system that brings the the lure down right those those charter fishermen kind of know based on their radar at what depth those fish are. So if, if you can't bring it down to them, they're not going to see it. Or if you bring it down too far, they're not going to see it. So depth is really important in understanding where the fish are, are located in the, in the water column. So you actually think those like fishing radars actually work because Pablo's parents do have one on the boat. And I always thought it was like a joke. Pablo's dad would be like, all right, there's a bunch of fish at 10 feet. I always thought it was just kind of a joke, but you're saying that that's actually legitimate. Yeah, it's legitimate. I mean, sometimes it, you might mistake it for like a log or a brush <laughs> pile, but if they're, it's picking something up, you know, there's something down there and most likely it's it's going to be fish <laughs> especially when it's like 100 feet down as opposed to houghton lake where it's like the deepest depth is like 12 feet so <laughs> <laughs> like when you're out in the ocean yeah you probably need to know your depth for the, the appropriate fish i actually did not know that the the fishing scanners or whatever were legitimate so this makes a lot more sense now <laughs> have you done any ocean fishing no that's kind of that's kind of like on my bucket list if you will to kind of catch a uh, a big marlin or swordfish or oh shizzy bob where would you have to go to catch those kinds of fish oh boy i'm thinking like the the florida keys type of thing where the gulf is uh meets the atlantic ocean there's a warm warm some warm water and stuff mm-hmm. yeah i'll have to do that sometime in my life but... i'm actually surprised that you haven't because i know you have some family members who live in florida i don't know where in florida and i know florida keys is like it probably takes you six hours to get there if you're at the the top of florida but um i'm actually surprised you haven't done any ocean fishing knowing that you do have some family you visited there you know what i have just not the the big you know uh fish type of fishing so we do have i do have in-laws um down in uh, south florida and we have gone uh, on the ocean, but it's mainly been, you know, uh, pompano, uh, redfish, snook, that type of thing, which is great. Uh, don't get me wrong. 
Yeah, yeah. But you want to go for like the big ass fish. I remember when we were going to Alaska, we were actually really debating between salmon fishing and then do you remember the other type that we were looking at? I'll have to look it up. It Wait, doesn't no, yeah, because Carrie. Yes, one. Carrie. You know, Carrie. Um, you guys are actually going to see them today, Carrie and Lance. Uh, they went to Alaska. They did a fishing tour. Maybe it was just Carrie. And she caught this huge ass fish. But the fish that she caught was like very wide and flat. And it was like brown colored. I that's that's halibut. Also halibut. Okay, thank right. you. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good eater. So, you know, the fish that, that are good to eat. But, what is uh, your favorite type of fish to eat? I like bluegill. I like perch, walleye. Uh, halibut if I'm feeling frisky and fancy, but uh, <laughs> I like a classic fish fry. So, you know, going out and filleting some some nice perch and battering them and frying them, I can't, can't go wrong there. Do you have standard sides that go with your fried fish? Uh, let's see, coleslaw is good. Uh, French fries. You can I mean, always get a hush puppy, but are you required to have what is it? Tartar, tartar sauce. sauce. Tartar sauce. Are you pro or con on? The tartar sauce land. Really the hard-hitting questions here. I'm a big fan of all sauces. (laughs) (laughs) Aardvark sauce. (laughs) I'm not not a purist in any sense. Like, I will try anything. Aardvark sauce, the hot sauce is fantastic. So I have to ask you, I know I've talked a lot about Pablo's parents because they are the primary fishers in my life, personally. They say that Pablo's mom's family was involved in inventing the Swedish pimple which is, I think it's a type of fishing lure, Pablo. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So number one, have you heard of this? And how do you feel about the Swedish pimple? I have heard of it. Um, I personally never used it, but that's because I'm, I'm not much of an ice fisherman. I think primarily it's, it's an ice fishing rig. Oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, so, you know, for perch, uh, walleye, and I could see it being pretty effective. I, I know some people swear by it. I just have no experience using it. It has everything you need. Like there's like a, a, spark that, a part that spins, right? There's uh, some flash and, and shine. There's some color to it. So I can see it being pretty effective for, for perch and walleye under the ice. That's good. And we, we have some Swedish pimples at our home, even though we don't have any fishing rods whatsoever. I have a fishing rod. Oh, my bad. Pablo has a fishing rod. I do not. Have you ever seen an ice fishing rod? It's very... The tip-ups, yeah. Yes, that was actually probably one of the first fishing experiences that I had as a kid. Um, My best friend in grade school, they lived on a relatively large plot of land, probably 10 acres plus, and they had a very small pond. Um, One thing I'll call out here is the difference between a pond and a lake. I'm definitely going to ask you about that in a minute, but I'm pretty sure she had a pond, and um, it was small enough that it did actually freeze over every year, so... Her father took the both of us ice fishing and I remember it being like a very small rod and it actually like stood on like a little triangle like so that you could just like watch the top of the rod to see where it was and you could tell when it like dipped down so the rod itself didn't really move it was just kind of like like a bobber but at the top of the rod you know what I'm talking about yeah I think that's a virtue is a tip the whole point because you go put your tip ups out and then you Mm -hmm. go sit in your warm shandy and you just watch to see the flags go up and if you see a flag go up you go check your tip up to see if there's a fish there is it shanty or shandy i think shandy is a beverage and a shanty is like a shack okay (laughs) and what you would put on the ice to like hang out on there you go 
Yeah. So I, I actually ice fishing, I think, is probably the one that I would choose if I have to choose a type of fishing because it's very low key and you really just have to keep an eye on that rod. And like I even remember, I think that my friend's family like had a thing where you like stuck it in the ice and it like connected, not connected, but it like stood at the top of the rod. So you, it could show you exactly where like just chill resting rod would be so that you could easily see if it was going below that like resting spot. So you would know if something had got onto your line. Nice. Yeah. Ice fishing can be a big ordeal too. Just uh, knowing the right spots, understanding if it's even safe to mm-hmm. go out on the ice, how thick it is, um, having the right equipment. Right. So if you drill a hole into a spot, you're kind of committed to that spot. And if there's no fish there, you kind of have to move shop and it's a lot of effort. So I never really had someone who kind of knew a lake well enough to um, take me out and um, do that. And I, I guess I never had the motivation to explore and try to drill those holes and find good spots. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot. Of- I remember Pablo's parents or Pablo's dad in particular made me drill a hole to go ice fishing one year up at Houghton Lake and it was a lot of work like I, I'm pretty sure I gave up after 30 seconds and it's easy to underplay the cold if you've <laughs> never gone ice fishing but when you're sitting out there for a couple hours <laughs> just I mean the wind is gonna hit you in the middle of a lake or something like that it's not nice so I have to know, do you know the difference between a pond and a lake? And if so, can you please tell us? Because I definitely mess it up on the regular. I don't know if I have the, the exact definition for me. If I, It's just like a feeling. Like a lake has more water. It's deeper. It's bigger, right? Um, a pond is, is more shallow. It has more, I guess, vegetation because sunlight is able to penetrate the bottom, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know the exact scientific difference between the two. Okay. Good use of the word penetrate, by the way. I think the lake might always be fed by something, though, right? I have no idea. Like by some sort of river? I always thought, I heard personally, I don't know from who or when or where, that the difference between a pond and a lake is you can see, if you're standing at the edge of a pond, you can see the edge of the other side of the pond. And the lake has to be big enough that it's difficult to see the other side. Yeah, so it is a component of size, but I never heard of that threshold. Like, that's the. the it's probably side. made up, man. Let's just be real. <laughs> <laughs> Pablo's looking it up for us now. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious now. It's basically what you said about the shallowness or the size. Like, the lakes are deeper, ponds have more opportunity for surface area, I guess, but. Okay. Well, do you have any other crazy fishing stories that you want to tell us about? I know I brought up the one about the kayak, but any other stories that are worth telling us? Sure. Yeah, I have some a lot of uh, fond memories uh, with my friends. There's one, you know, with a group of three guys I met through a coworker of mine, Rob. Uh, and we, we went to the first of what we refer to as salmon camp. Ooh. And so, you know, to set the scene, it's uh, early fall on a trout stream in, in West Michigan. Uh, we pack, you know, two to three days worth of food and, and beer, tents, our sleeping gear all into a kayak. So the idea is you pack in, you pack out, nothing more than is needed, and uh, you always pick up after yourself. That's kind of our mantra. So, you know, we drive up river, uh, we float down uh, for, for several days, stopping at spots. We're fishing for salmon, right? King salmon that, that make a run from the big river, kind of the fish that you caught, Paul. Imagine catching that in, in the middle of a river, right? That's what wow. we're going for. Yeah, yeah. There's typically like a several week window where they they migrate upstream. 
And so we're trying, we're trying to hit them at that point. So during the day we do that, we stop at spots, fish the holes. And at night we stop at state land to, to set up camp and make a fire, you know, take the edge off and uh, have some brews at night. But there was one point where we stopped at a huge log jam that led to the naming of what we call our, our log jam stew. And I can't describe how much I, I love that stew. Like all of us threw in a pot, like all the beers, all the meats, veggies, uh, herbs and spices that we had packed up for the weekend. Um, one guy had kielbasa sausage. I had red Argentine shrimp. Somehow someone had crawdads. Whoa. So think of like this crawdad boil uh, over an open flame with some like smoky backwoods flare, right? Love that. <laughs> so that's like, it's like a garbage can of whatever you had in your backpacks or your coolers and stuff like that and put it into a yeah. stew and just have like a gumbo stew. basically. <laughs> Yeah, and we, we roasted it all night, and I don't know if it was the fact that we were dehydrated or we ate jerky all day, but, like, that first taste <laughs> of broth was like the nectar of life. It's so good. Uh, we try to recreate it every year. I don't know if it tastes the same uh, as the first time we had it, but it's like a tradition now. I even, like, made it a point to have it at my bachelor party. That's awesome. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. But anyway, the trip from a fishing standpoint was a failure, right? We couldn't land any kings. We were ill-prepared as far as like our equipment goes. There were several close attempts, like these fish are huge, right? They get 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds, and they're flying up and down river. They're getting caught into brush piles. And at one point, uh, the closest attempt we had was another disappointing story, but uh, it got caught in the brush pile and the salmon's tail is sticking up out of the water. So we had to form a human chain to go out into the deep water to try to grab the tail because we didn't have a net i don't know if someone <laughs> lost the net that weekend or someone decided that this is too much of a pain to to pack but the guy was like an inch my friend rob was like an inch away from grabbing the salmon and it just broke off which is like the most disappointing part of the <laughs> so it was like it was like a game of red rover except the goal was to like catch the fish as opposed to not let someone break through the chain well the fish was caught in a brush pile in the deep part of the water, oh. right? So we had to create a chain so that the person going out there wouldn't get pulled away. Wouldn't get away. <laughs> so like he went out there all the way up to where the water hits his waders, all, to, all the way up to his chest. So he couldn't go anymore. And he was trying to grab it. So Wow. Wow. And that's like pretty dangerous too. Like if, <laughs> if, if he like bends over or something like that, it could be big trouble. Yeah, that's why you, you always want to have like a buddy system. You don't want to yeah. go out in the... But that's why you got the chain and all that stuff. Yeah, you don't do something by yourself. Yeah. yeah. Do you think you would have been able to catch it if you had actually had a net? Oh, absolutely. I don't know what we were thinking. Like, <laughs> why did we? Why did no one bring a net on that trip? I think <laughs> someone did, and they flipped their kayak and lost it or something. I don't know. Oh. I mean, scary. I could, I could understand that's one of those things where you're, you're like driving out of the driveway or like hopping on the highway to get there, and you're like forgot my net damn it and they're like someone's gonna have a net but you do that times four and then you're doing the chain system trying to grab the tail because you don't want to pack up too much because you're you're taking everything that you have as gear and you're loading up your kayak right right? like you want to save space so i can see like all of us being like that's just gonna get in the way and uh you know someone else is gonna bring it so why even bother and it was just a terrible decision. But. Was there multiple nets the next time you went? Oh, yeah. Everybody has it. 
We did catch plenty of trout that trip, though. Uh, so I enjoyed that for, for dinner and lunch. But, uh, yeah, like I said before, most of the fishing trips that I have fond memories of, it's not about actually catching the fish. It's kind of the ancillary stories that come along yeah. with it. Yeah, it's about the community and about the crazy experiences that you go through, like everybody not bringing a net and being neck deep in the water to try to catch a salmon. Like I can definitely see that it's about the actual experience itself, like who cares as much about. I mean, I know catching fish is really exciting, but like at the end of the day, that's just like one meal, just like any other meal. So it's the experiences that you remember. Yeah, it's the connections, the bonds. I mean, fishing has been one of the primary ways. Uh, I've been able to connect with my in-laws, right? They're her dad, Lisa, my wife's dad, uh, her cousin and brother are avid fishermen. And, you know, we text daily about their trips out and send pictures and, and get wow. reports. It's a really special thing. That is really awesome. special. We heard that you are a master angler. Yes. I can't wait to hear we about this. We need to hear about this. Because number one, I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. I'll do my best to describe it. So the master angler is like a certain threshold for every species. There's a a length and weight that if you catch it and you document it, it's considered a master angler type of fish. And the DNR tracks this, right? So um, I happened to to catch a bluegill with my father-in-law um, at a spot I will not uh, share. <laughs> Secret. <laughs> Every true fisherman, you know, a real fisherman doesn't share his secret spots, but um, caught an 11 inch bluegill, which I think the threshold for a master angler bluegill is around 10 inches. Whoa. And so what I had to do was take a picture of it with uh, the ruler, right? Submit it to the DNR and you get this patch. You know, your, your viewers can't see it right now, but you get a patch. We'll send you... them a picture. It's the no problem. <laughs> <laughs> you get a patch and you get a certificate and you're in the database. For catching uh you know the master the master angler type of fish that's right. awesome so dnr in my head stands for do not resuscitate which i know is not what you're talking about so what is the dnr department of uh natural resources oh okay is that a federal thing or is that at the state level i think it's a state level there are conservation officers out there to kind of protect the conservation of species and you know, fish and wildlife in the state so there are rules and regulations about ethically, you know, being a, a fisherman and, and doing, a, you know, hunting and that sort of thing. So they're policing all of that to make sure that it's sustainable, right? Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to what we first started uh, talking about was making sure that um, the resources and natural resources we have now are there for people to enjoy for generations to come. So yeah. it's real important what they do. That's super awesome. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but Pablo is also a very avid fisher. Fisherman, I guess I should say, an avid fisherman. But the difference is Pablo is an expert in fishing in our video game Animal Crossing. I've heard about that game. Is it <laughs> It's like you build an island and you like are basically the mayor of the town, so you like make the town nicer or whatever. And fishing is really just like a side project that you get to do to like make money, but you also have like a little booklet where you're trying to catch every single type of fish. And um, Pablo started playing with me semi recently and all he does is go fishing all day or day in the middle of the night in the middle of the day he's fishing but it was really exciting because like they actually based the fish in the video game off of real fish in real life so you get to like actually like learn about fish and 
sea fish in a video game format. So it's like super silly and super fun. Okay. I'm still stuck on the master angler thing though. Like if you're in the database, are they like, are they keeping your information in case the, the like populations get so overdone that they just need to, to call the army of master anglers? Like everybody, <laughs> all the bluegill master anglers, we need to get to Lake Michigan tomorrow. And you're like, whoop, 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 with your fishing rods. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> so did you hear the story a couple of years ago that they found a shark in Lake Michigan in fresh water? That's got to be... It's got to be fake, right? No, it was 100% real. It was like a shark that somehow transitioned into being a freshwater shark. And they found one in Lake Michigan, um, which like shout out to our friend David Kay. He doesn't like swimming in water because he's nervous about the the scary shit that can happen in the water. And I remember his girlfriend Jenna told us like, don't tell David Kay that there are there are freshwater sharks in Lake Michigan or he'll never get in the water again. It's well, definitely real. I didn't know that. I, I think the only freshwater shark I, I'm aware of that can do that is like a tiger bull shark in like Australia where they they alternate between going up river and, and going back into the big water. But yeah, I guess I've never heard that story. That's crazy to think about. Do you remember what kind of shark it was? Or No, but I'm going to Google it right now because Pablo's yeah. slacking. Dang. And if I if I told if we told all the kids that that are swimming in Lake Michigan, no one would swim in Lake Michigan. It was a bull shark. Oh, it was a bull shark. Okay, so that kind of makes sense. It was. How did it get there? Did it swim like the canals from, or someone placed it there? Probably. Let me look. I'm opening. Started up in Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have to go into it. Okay. But... Oh. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> all we need to know is that there are bull sharks in Lake Michigan and life is scary <laughs> i'm i highly doubt like i don't know a ton about bull sharks but i'm assuming they live in very deep waters and you have a very 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 small chance of actually seeing one in real life yes i'd agree with that especially in like lake michigan <laughs> <laughs> oh man well is there anything else before we wrap up that you want to tell us about fishing and your passion for fishing or fishing stories or anything like that no i mean i have a ton of stories i can go on and on like yeah, I remember fishing with my grandma and speaking of equipment, she had like this, uh, this bamboo type of stick and a string and a hook. And she would literally just sit there with a worm and flip uh, bluegills into a bucket. Whoa. Right. You, you don't need fancy equipment to catch bluegill. Right. And I remember, you know, she had her eye on this duck that wasn't at like at the edge of the pond. And she, she would shush me and go Shh, and sneak up on it. And she ended up just chasing this duck around the pond. And that was like one of the most distinct memories I have of my grandma. <laughs> was she chasing the duck because she knew that the duck would be near the fish or did she want to catch the duck? Like, what was the goal there? I'm pretty sure she wanted to catch the duck to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> did she catch it? No, but it was just a hilarious like image and, and a memory that I have. And it was like a lake around Hazlitt here. So but I have tons of those. That's yeah. amazing. How does uh, your wife, Lisa, feel about fishing? Does she fish with you? Does she enjoy it as well? Or does she just tolerate the obsession? Uh, a little bit of everything. I think when we first uh, met, she she fished with me because she knew uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, I remember fishing with uh, her dad and, and she would join us. But nowadays, it's just kind of, you know, she doesn't 
she doesn't really need to to participate. We go out. Uh, I go out with her her in law her uh, my in laws and her dad and, and cousins. So she just kind of tolerates it. I, I guess it's not really her thing. Which totally really fair. <laughs> Does she enjoy eating the fish that you bring back? Occasionally, and I don't think she's a fan of like salmon. There's some gamey, gamier tasting fish, mm-hmm. um, but like tilapia, perch, walleye, kind of the white meats. It's it's very good for her. That's fair enough. Well, Luan, I I definitely want to thank you for being here today. It's been so fascinating chatting with you about fishing. I feel like I've personally learned a lot and loved hearing all of the stories that you've had about fishing. Appreciate it, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Luan. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Things My Friends Know. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.